Well, if it seems like it's been a long time since I preached, that's because it's been a long time since I preached. Um, So it's been at least two months. So we are going to be back in the book of Philippians, if you want to turn there. Let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for all your blessings. I thank you for your provisions and your wisdom. God, and I pray as we look at this scripture, as we look at um, what you've given us through Paul's experience, through, through Paul's writings at the time, and what we can see, Lord, I pray that it would be a great encouragement to us that no matter what comes our way, we know that you are indeed sovereign. God, I pray that we would rest in that fact, that we would take joy in the fact that whatever comes our way, you are working it to the better for us and for your kingdom. And let us have a kingdom mindset, Lord. Let us have an, a heavenly mindset and not one of this earth. God, help us to turn our affection, turn our desires, and turn everything to Christ. And in his name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> So the last sermon, when the last time I preached several months ago, um, we heard right there in the, la- the seventh, eight, nine, verse seven, eight, nine in that area, or nine and ten, um, Paul's amazing prayer for the Christians in Philippi. And I think as we read through this, we get a sense that the saints in Philippi were probably greatly concerned for Paul. As would be natural, right? Paul has had much wrong done to him at this point, and he is in prison. And the exact reason he's in prison is is kind of hard to pinpoint. It's because he's a Christian, and it's because he's a leader of the Christians. But it's hard to pinpoint, because when you go back, and it's several... I I wanted to go back into Acts, but there's just not enough time, because it, it happens over so many chapters... But basically, it's hard to pinpoint because, (laughs) imagine this, the government was corrupt. They gave a lot of different reasons for Paul's imprisonment, none of, most of which weren't even true at all. They were trying to pin stuff on him. They were false accusing him. Um, And the, the reality is, it looks like it was a lot of political maneuvering they're using Paul as leverage to try to gain peace, um, favor, or whatever, submission from the Jewish community, from, from Israel at the time. Which Rome, Rome is still in, in control of that, but they, all, they were always worried about unrest among the Israelites. So that, that's part of what, what we see there. But we, we definitely see here that the Philippians have a great concern for Paul, they were worried about his imprisonment. They were perhaps even concerned that he would be put to death. And and as we read through these next verses, I think we get a sense that they they had a worry that the gospel would die with Paul. Man, if they take out Paul, he's our leader. And obviously, we can see through all these works, Paul was a big big part of the advancements of the gospel, right? And so well, you can see why there would be a concern there. And so that's part of what he's writing here. And, you know, you going back to verse 6 then when he says, being confident in this, in this very thing, 
that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus. He's saying, it's not me that's going to complete this work. Whether I live or die does not matter. The work will be completed in you. And so we can see um, as we go down into starting in verse 12, that that feeling that we get from Paul. And that's his encouragement to them in that the gospel will be for the furtherance of the gospel will continue. So look at take a look at verse 12 with me. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So here is Paul's response to the concern of Philippi. Here, you can take this this way as well. Here is Paul's response to our concern for trials. Paul's response for the any concern for trials on this earth, he says... These things have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He's going to lay out here the reasons they should not worry about the persecution that is coming to him because of his faith. And and as we learn that, as they learn that, we also are going to learn how we should look on persecution. When it comes, as it comes, how do we deal with it? And we're going to see um, we're going to see a very clear way to look at it um, here in in Philippians. Mainly, he's talking about his imprisonment here. When he says the things that have happened to me, the biggest thing is imprisonment. We don't know a lot of the details of other persecutions, but we know through Paul's life he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a snake, He was threatened multiple times. He was stoned and left for dead. Paul went through a lot of persecution. Paul went through a lot. Some of it wasn't persecution. I mean, the shipwreck. That was just trials, right? He went through a lot of trials. But in in specific here, he's talking about what's going on in Rome. And he says, basically he's saying, men trying to stop the gospel have actually led to the spreading of the gospel. And that is what's amazing about God's plan. When you compare it to the plan of man, to the ideas that men have, God never works like we would. Praise God for that, right? His ways are higher. And you go back into the book of Acts. What caused the gospel to leave Jerusalem? Persecution. They were all there worshiping together and the persecution came and the Christians scattered. And with the Christians went the gospel. And it starts to spread throughout the world. Why? Because of persecution. And this is no different. It, and it reminds me of Genesis fifty twenty. I think about this verse a lot. And you should too. Um, remember Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob, and his brothers were jealous, and so they sold him into slavery and acted like he was dead and told told their dad that he was eaten by a wild animal. They sold him into slavery in Egypt, and years later, he found them. They found him. They were begging for food. They were going to try to buy food because there was a famine, and there's Joseph Standing there, and, and is in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, 
But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. I think about that verse a lot. Because there's a lot of evil going on. You will have evil done against you. There's evil done against the church. There's evil corruption in every government. And yet, God takes all those evil intentions and He uses them for His glory. For the good of His people and for His glory. And we always need to remember that. And so we're seeing the same thing here in Philippians. The men are following an evil path. They're trying to stop the preaching of the only true good message in the world. But God takes that evil of them trying to stop it and he uses it for the furtherance of the gospel. How? Take a look at verse 13. He says, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So we're going to see several ways that the gospels furthered here but through these trials. But the first one we see here in Paul's suffering is that the whole palace guard got to see the reason that Paul was in prison, prison was for Christ. Well, what good does that do? You were preaching Christ, now you're in prison. How's that any good? Well, there's a few things here, a few, few options that we can look at. Number one, the palace guard had probably never heard the gospel. They're not out, in, I mean, they're not out there in the synagogues. They're not out in the streets very much. If they do, they hear it in passing, maybe somebody preaching in the street. But they had never had somebody really, they had never really got to sit down and hear the gospel. And here comes Paul. You're chained to me, to me today, Paul. I'm in charge of watching you. Paul, you can just see a sly grin, right? Okay. I got something I want to talk to you about anyway, so this will work out good. And he shares the gospel with that guy. And so what he's saying here is every single member of the palace guard, and I don't know how many there were, but it was not small. We're talking about the household of Caesar here. We're talking... the, the king, the palace, doesn't have a small guard. It's not a, tw- a dozen men. This is basically an army. And every single one of them heard the gospel because Paul's imprisonment. I'm sure they had heard of Jesus, right? Do you think they had an accurate representation of Jesus from Caesar, from his household, from his guard? No. But Paul comes along and he gets to tell them. Well, they're like, why, why would you not give this up? Can you imagine the questions? Why wouldn't you just give this up and not have to be in prison? Well, let me tell you about this man who was also God named Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for me. That's why I won't give it up, because he didn't give it up. Right? And he gets to share the gospel with him. There was also... Much controversy by this time about the truth of what happened with the resurrection. Right? Information traveled slow. Information got mixed up a lot in these times. It was mouth to mouth, ear to ear, right? So there was much controversy. There was many lies put out by Rome about what happened to the body of Jesus. It wasn't like they were going around saying, yep, all those apostles, all those disciples, they were right. 
Jesus was raised from the dead. No, that's not what they were saying. They were saying his body was stolen. They were saying a lot of, a lot of different things were going on. Well, now all of a sudden, the palace guards get to witness a genuine testimony. One that saw the resurrected Christ. Paul was an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. And you don't suffer what Paul was suffering for a lie. Right? We talk about that in apologetics all the time. Well, so all, you're, you're telling me that these 12 apostles saw Jesus resurrect, or did, they made this story up, and they stuck with their story so much they would be beheaded, or put on a cross, or killed, or boiled in oil? Well, here's the same testimony. Paul has this testimony now. I saw it, and I believe it so firmly that I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to die for this story. Why? Because it's true. Because this man, Jesus, is your creator. And he died in order to redeem me, and he can redeem you also. He's preaching this to the palace guards. And they also got to witness how a Christian handles trials. And here's where it gets real close to home for us. How do you handle trials? How do I handle trials? I can't answer for you, but I can tell you this about me. I have failed. I wish I had the perception of the Apostle Paul in my little trials compared to his. But the reality is, I don't. But that, you know what? That's why we're here. And that's why God has put Philippians in my heart. And that's why I'm preaching it to you. Because I'm going to guess that most of you have failed in the way that you handle trials too. Most of us haven't stood with this kind of faith that Paul had. But you know what? You want you want to know some good news? That wasn't Paul's faith. Paul wasn't the great one that did this. It was the Holy Spirit within him, and the same Holy Spirit that was working in Paul is working in each of us who are believers today, and we have this power. And we're going to do it through this word. We're going to do it through the preaching of the word. We're going to do it through the reading of the word and through prayer. So if we've failed before, let us not fail again. Let us look at our trials with this kind of perception. How are we to handle trials? It's as if we handle our trials as if God were sovereign. Imagine that. We are now going to be called to walk out this doctrine that we hold to. Turn with me to the book of James. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. We have lots of instruction in how to handle trials. Here's one example. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How do you handle trials? Joyfully. Why? Because we have Christ. 
I remember uh, hearing a sermon one time, and it was a brother talking about a guy in Mexico. And missionaries had went down to Mexico, and, this, and it was a poor, poor community. You know, shacks, cardboard, tin houses, you know, just kind of stuck together. That was where they lived. And they shared the gospel with him. Actually, I think they built him a house first. If I remember the story right, they built him a house. And it was extremely modest compared to what most of us live in. But for that area, it was extravagant, right? And he was just so thankful. And they shared the gospel with him. And he got saved. And it was only like two or three weeks later, a tornado came and leveled that house to the ground. And they went back down there. And he was sitting on the, on the foundation, smiling. And they said... What, how, how, what, this is devastating. What, why are you smiling? He said, I have Jesus. God, let me have that mind. I don't so much of the time, but that should be our mindset. That house, guess who provided it the first time? It was Christ through his people. Guess who will put it back? And if he doesn't, who cares? You have Jesus. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Let, let me back up. Let me let me read verse starting in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in that last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Whatever it is on this earth, you know, we heard this morning, and the warning is very good. And we need to take precautions. We need to do what we can to prepare for this. But the reality is, that's bad news for a little while. There is a time coming when that will be wiped away and our government will be perfect because it will be led entirely by Jesus Christ. So it is a temporary time. Jesus will be the head. Jesus will be the king. He is the king, but we will see it in its fulfillment. We won't have to worry about corrupt governments anymore. That time is coming. And that's where we can rejoice. Facing trials with joy demonstrates our belief that there is something, that there is someone greater than what we see here. And that's what Peter was showing the palace guard. We can't even beat this guy into submission. What do you do with somebody like that? 
It's like when the, when the army would tell you, hey, take this and go a mile. And Jesus said, you go with them two miles. What do you do with that guy? We're, you're supposed to hate us. Well, I don't. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And that's how we should be in our trials. And so now, turn, turn, back, to, turn back to Philippians. Verse 14, the, the, the next way that the gospel is furthered by Paul's trials. Verse 14, And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Isn't this the opposite of the modern church building models? Has anybody ever looked at those? There's books, there's websites, there's blogs about how to build a church. When you read the suggestions about how to grow a church on the more popular church church growth websites um, or books, you get a lot of marketing strategies and demographic studies. Do you know that? That's that's how the modern um, idea, popular idea to build a church is. Make your church look like something of the demographic you are targeting would enjoy. So if you're if you're targeting young middle-aged business people, you want to make your church kind of fit that. If you're tar- targeting males, we've we've seen this even around here where hey, we need to get more men in church, so we're going to masculine up the church. We're going to do some deer heads on the wall or we're going to give away a gun, those kind of things. Um that that that's the that's the model that is given to us. Um, and here's the Apostle Paul's model. I got arrested. I got beat. I've had my life threatened, etc., etc. Come join my church and you'll get the same. It's not exactly a great plan when it comes to man, is it? But here we have God, whose ways are much higher than ours. I mean, what, what, you're going to put it on a... You're going to put it on a Mailer, you know, they recommend you mail out things in the community. You're going to put that, what demographic is that targeting exactly? Hey, free trips to jail. Long-term stay. Don't have to, don't have to worry about working anymore, I guess. That might sell today, I don't know. No, that's not, that is not normal, right? But here's God. And here's Paul saying, his chains have emboldened the other saints. It is absolutely opposite of what the people, what Satan, what the ploy is trying to do. They are trying to stop the gospel. And the more they try to stop it, the more it gets spread. All through history. Ever since Jesus came out of that tomb, this is how it's worked. You want to you want to get the gospel spread? Find persecution. You want to see where the church is flourishing? Find the persecution. It's always that way. And this is where we can be encouraged as well. Persecution's coming. We have it now. We've had it always. The Bible says those who are in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's always been there. But it is ramping up. 
It is getting to where you are not allowed to say anything truth. Because all the truth that we hold to somehow offends somebody and you will be persecuted for it. That's coming. But the good news is as that comes, church is going to spread. The gospel is going to be furthered. His chains emboldened the other saints. It fired them up to follow the example set by Paul so that they too will go preach the gospel without fear. Has anybody ever experienced anything like this? You see somebody getting ridiculed that's preaching on the street and it makes you want to go? It does. You see somebody getting ridiculed at the abortion mill and it makes you want to go? It works that way in the Christian heart. And it will continue to work that way in the Christian heart. So the very thing that the men who arrested Paul were, was the very thing they were trying to stop, it's working the opposite. And it just shows us even further the kingdom of God is not like the world. You don't build the kingdom of God the way the world would. You don't protect the kingdom of God the way the world would. And you don't enter it the way the world would. Look at Isaiah 55. God says this, Isaiah 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That is the truth of this thing. God works so much higher than us. We can't even understand the level that the, the the gap there. He uses what the world would look like, the most terrible things, and he turns them into the most glorious things. Look at verse 15, back in Philippians. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. So we're going to change gears a little bit here. He's, he's going to give us a little explanation. I think we're going to see a little bit of explanation even of how things work today. Some preach Christ from envy and strife. And so in context here, going back to verse 14, we see that Paul is talking about brethren. So he's not talking about like Jews that are preaching about a Messiah, but not Christ specifically. No, he, he, he makes it clear that they're preaching the true Christ. So evidently, some are preaching Christ from the right motive, and some are preaching Christ from the wrong motive. Yet they're both preaching Christ. And then I thought, the envy and strife, what, what, it's a kind of a confusing, that's kind of an odd thing that's in there. And I think the envy is probably, he's actually referring to envy of Paul. And it looks like some men probably took the opportunity while Paul is in prison to try to gain a platform to preach. And then, and then we see that in the next verse. They're, they're gaining a platform for themselves. As it says in verse 16, the former preached Christ from selfish ambition, 
not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains. So it appears that somehow they thought preaching Christ would make it more difficult for Paul. Maybe they thought it would bother Paul that others were enjoying some popularity in his absence. Because that's how these kind of men would think. Right? Well, I, it would really, if I was Paul and I was in prison and somebody was kind of taking my spot, that would really bother me. So they might be thinking that. Uh, maybe they thought that the persecution in prison would be worse if there were more preaching outside. Which could have absolutely been true. They're trying to stop it. Everybody keeps preaching. Well, that'll make it tougher on Paul in prison. Whatever the reason, we see here that men were preaching the truth, the true gospel, but they were doing it out of selfish ambition. Does that concern anyone in here? Because if they could do it then, that means we can do it now. And so this is a caution to avoid this. Check your motives. Why do you want to preach? Why do you want to teach? Why do you want to witness on campus? Why do you want to go out on the streets and stand on a box? Is it truly because you have a heart for God and a heart for men? Or is it because you want to put it on Facebook and see all the comments? Why do you want to lead music? Why do you want to do the things that you do in the name of God? Basically, it comes down to this. Are you in verse 16 or are you in verse 17? Are you doing this out of ambition for yourself? Selfish ambition? Or are you doing this out of a latter love? It's a good question to ask. And the other thing is, we need to be aware of other people doing this. So that we're not caught on our heels, so that we don't, so that when people are good preachers, good teachers, good writers, we're not completely shocked when they do something that's selfish. Right? Because we're all men here. Was it possible that at Paul, the Apostle Paul at some point had a selfish moment? Of course it was. He was a man just like everybody else. Is it possible that us, the elders here, or the leaders here, or the teachers here, or the deacons here could have the same thing, of course. And that's part of why we have this community is to help keep one another in check in that very thing. Because you're not always the best at checking your own motives. And I'm not always the best at checking my own motives. But we need to do that. And something else I want to note here on this, in this particular area, many times dealing with the security of the believer or the fact that you can't lose your salvation, the question comes up, well, what about that preacher that God used in so many ways that has now denounced the faith? Anybody ever heard that one? Well, I, that guy preached truth for 15 years down there at that Baptist church, and there was a bunch of people that were saved. Well, I think we're going to see... We're going, to, we're going to see here that um, the actual truth is God can use that. Some preach Christ out of love and some out of selfish ambition. But the key on that is it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, not the preacher. 
And so what we're going to see as we go down into these next couple of verses is Paul says, I don't care because Christ is being preached. Right? But let's look at, hold on, let's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's look at verse 17. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. These are the right motive guys. Right? These are the ones preaching Christ because they love him. They're preaching Christ because they love the people who are the hearers. And they're hoping they get saved. That's the reason we preach Christ. And they realize that Paul is appointed to defend the gospel, and he's a little tied up at the moment. Literally. So they step up. Somebody's got to defend the gospel in his place. Somebody's got to carry this torch. We're going to do it. And we're going to do it for the right reasons. And there's others that are doing it too. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. But the same Christ is being preached. So he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. When the true gospel of Jesus Christ, when the true Messiah, the Christ, is preached, the motive cannot stop the power of that message. And praise God for that. Because probably very few ever actually step into a pulpit with 100% pure motive. And I'm being honest today. I mean, it's reality. You might as well know me. The Bible talks about me a lot. So I might as well just shoot straight with you. All you got to do is read it and you'll find out who I am. But that's the truth, and that's why Paul rejoices no matter if they're preaching, whatever the motive is. If you're preaching the truth, if you're really expounding on Christ and Him crucified, then that message will go forth and there will be, there will be people saved. That word will not return void. And so it may be, and they, they may be true believers. They may be false believers still preaching the message right. That's an amazing thing. There are actually unconverted men out there preaching truth. You can have a knowledge here of the gospel. You can have a true knowledge of of Jesus Christ, but not a saving faith, not a true intimate relationship with him. So the message goes forth. And so that, that answers the question, what about that guy that preached? He preached and there was all these people that are saved. That doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't come through the lineage the way that I was taught. The guy that baptized me, that if he fell off, then all of a sudden there's this big question. Well, what about the guy that baptized And nobody's keeping up with ten generations ago. It doesn't work that way. It is the power of the gospel unto salvation. And we can take great faith in that. We can take much relaxation in that it doesn't depend on the man and that's a great thing so god can use that message however he chooses and so paul says this he says i rejoice even if it brings more persecution on me i rejoice Even if I lose popularity or position, I rejoice. Even if they are deliberately trying to harm me in some way, I rejoice. Why? Because Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. 
And so if you are proclaiming Christ, I rejoice. And so so today, to close, I encourage you to look for ways to rejoice in your trials. And one way that always comes around is to rejoice in the preaching of Christ the same way as Paul did. And to remember, you know, I was thinking this morning as as Paul was teaching, um, the more corruption I see in government, the more amazing the gospel becomes to me. Has anybody else thought about that? Just stop and think about that for a second, and then we'll enter into communion time. The more corruption you see in government, the more amazing it is that the king would die for you. Is that incredible? Have we ever even seen anything close to that in a world leader? The more you understand power and how men become greedy with it when they're put into power and how they abuse it, And then if you start studying history, it becomes even more clear when you have kings and kingdoms and the power and they would step on the heads of anybody they need to to get ahead. They would kill whoever they needed to to maintain power or to maintain the line or whatever. And the more we understand that, the more amazing the gospel becomes because you have the one who had true power relinquish it for a time. And lay down his life. That's incredible. That is an amazing gospel. The other thing that becomes amazing as you look at more and more corruption. I was thinking about this this morning. I was trying to watch the weather. And with the weather comes news. And I thought, I don't know if anything that comes across this thing is true. Paul was talking about this morning, who do you trust? You can't trust anybody. The more and more we go into this world, or maybe it's just me understanding more and becoming more cynical, but actual truth is almost impossible to find. And we have a book full of it. Those are amazing things. And those are things that we can rejoice in as the proclaiming of Christ has never been stopped and it never will be stopped. We can take faith in that and we can rejoice in that. Amen.